Character Studies A. Elisha. I have addressed the transition between Elijah and Elisha, and mentioned the miracles Elisha did. The book mentions how he did double the number of miracles God did through Elijah on page 237. But now, I want to consider a phrase often used in connection with Elisha, and quite often in 2 Kings 4, 8 and more. Elisha is, the man of God. That is quite a title. So, what does this mean? First, we see that Elisha was a man. That is not difficult to surmise. Since there are only two genders God made and that exist, Elisha was male, which is repeated. While the focus is not on his masculinity, it does factor into the discussion. He had no fear, and was a bold witness for the Lord. As you read his interactions with others, he did not mince words, nor did you have to wonder what he thought. Here are a few examples. 2 Kings 2 23-24, he cursed the boys who mocked him. Now, we need to recognize, and again as the book mentions, these boys were not just making fun of Elisha, but of God. In biblical times, to mock God's prophet, was to mock God. Elisha cursed them and God sent the bears to eat these young men. Application, don't mock God. We should respect those who are truly sent by God as leaders within the church too. 2 Kings 3 13-14, Elisha responds to the king of Israel with almost a disdain. While he may have respected the position, Jehoram was an evil man, and his heart was not for the Lord. Elisha knew this. He was blunt with the king, and because he respected Jehoshaphat, he gave a prophecy to Jehoram about victory. Application, there are times we need to be blunt as Christians. This does not mean we are a jerk, and wisdom is required to know when this needs to take place. But so often, and I speak for myself too, we are afraid to speak the truth, when we ought to speak it lovingly and boldly. 2 Kings 5 1-14, he sent out his servant Gehazi to meet Naaman the Syrian commander, rather than going himself. This was viewed and would have been viewed as disrespectful in that day. Though I mentioned this earlier, I want to look at it from a different focus. He tested Naaman. Elisha wasn't going to do something just for a show, as Naaman expected, see verse 11. We see this type of thing a lot today by the way. Elisha gave a specific and simple command through his servant. Naaman eventually obeyed and was healed, but this shows how Elisha was not going to bow before humanistic expectations. Application, we shouldn't either. Just because someone expects us to do something their way or in their time, act a certain way or respond they want, doesn't mean we always have to do so. We must do things God's way and in God's timing. Yes, this is easier said than done. I realize that and I struggle with this just as much as you do. While I also recognize that everyone is in a different situation, and you need to seek wisdom, the reality is, we cannot live our lives based on the expectations of others. Often, we will never measure up to their expectations. If we do, we will be paralyzed by fear of failure. So, either way, we are not living. While we should take note of what others think of us and expect from us, we should never be enslaved to these things as Christians. I'm not talking about realistic or even high expectations, but those that are unrealistic. So, if you find yourself in this situation, what do you do? First, admit you are a people pleaser. I had to at one point in my life. I had to recognize my focus was on what others thought of me. Second, say no to that in your life. You need to reject that part of your thinking. While our emotions are connected to this, it all starts in our mind. Next, replace your thinking with God's Word about being faithful to Christ. God's Word will strengthen you and help you to stop trying to measure up to others' expectations, except for God's. Fourth, set boundaries. Learn to say no to others. When someone tries to manipulate your or guilt trip you into doing something you know is wrong or that someone else should do, say no. You have the freedom to say this. It takes time and courage and others will not like it, but it is important. Fifth, 
Grow in the strength of God and learn how He sees you in Christ. Learn your identity in Christ. Elisha understood who he was based on his relationship with God. We need to do the same and we go to the Bible, in context, to learn this. Those are a few examples of Elisha's boldness. But we also see that Elisha was compassionate. In 2 Kings 4 he provided the oil for a widow and told the Shunammite woman she would have a son, and then later raised this boy from the dead. At the end of that chapter, he helps provide food for the sons of the prophets. So, this is also part of him being the man of God. These show that he was committed to God, and did things according to God's word. He feared God and loved God, we could say. His identity wasn't in his calling, vocation, what others said about him, nor how much he had or didn't have. His identity was in his God. Question, where is your identity? Application, you probably know where I'm going with this, and yes, it is a specific challenge to the men. We need to be bold and compassionate Elisha him as well. He is a good example for us. He was known as the man of God, and we can be too. We need to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16:13: be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In a world and culture that is blasting men into meaning masculinity, we cannot let that make us cower in fear and be silent. We need to be bold in witnessing and proclaiming the truth in love. The church cannot let the pagan culture dictate who we are. Only God has that right. Be Ahaz. The book gives a good overview of Ahaz, his apostasy, and sin against the Lord. On page 244 the book notes his irreverence in the worship of YHWH. I have addressed worship already, but there is another application when it comes to worship. This is something we have seen in our study of the historical books, and something we see today. I have mentioned syncretism, where there is a merging of worship with the good and the pagan, to create something different. But there is something else that is important for us today, and that is the concept that all religions lead to God. Have you heard this? I'm sure you have. In 2022 Ligonier Ministries in coordination with Lifeway Research did a survey called the State of Theology, which they have done for a few years to that point. Among their findings, 56% of professing evangelicals believe God accepts worship of all religions. Here is a graphic that depicts this. This is staggering, but should not surprise us. When we step away from objective truth, God's Word, His character and the biblical gospel, believing in false teaching becomes the norm. This is what we see in our society and what we see in the church. But as we see repeatedly in the historical books is that this is not true. God gave His prescribed method of worship to Israel through the Mosaic Law. He promised that if they followed His ways, He would bless them. He also promised that if they did not follow His ways, He would judge them. We have seen both within the historical books. When a king followed the law and led the kingdom in following God, he, and they were blessed. But when they did not follow what God said, He judged them, sometimes severely. 2 Kings 17:32-41 sum up this concept. They also feared the Lord and appointed from their entire population priests of the high places, who acted for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet they were serving their own gods in accordance with the custom of the nations from among whom they had been taken into exile. To this day they act in accordance with the earlier customs, they do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes, their ordinances, the law, or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord, who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow down, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall take care to do always, and you shall not fear other gods. The covenant that I have made with you, 
you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods. But you shall fear the Lord your God, and He will save you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not listen, but they kept acting in accordance with their earlier custom. So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols, their children likewise and their grandchildren, just as their fathers did, they do to this day. While we are not under the law, the Bible is clear, that those who deny Jesus, deny God. Those who reject Jesus, reject God. Those who worship anyone other than God, through Christ in the Spirit, are worshipping a false God and blaspheming the true and living God. This is not a small matter. People's eternity is at stake. This should drive us to share the Gospel with others. This should drive us to get some training in how to share the Bible and the Gospel with those of a different religion, or those who do not believe in anything. Our love for people and concern for their eternal souls, in connection with their life today, should empower us to be loving and bold in our witness. Far too many churches and denominations have compromised with this. They claim to want to reach the world, but are denying the one they claim to proclaim. God does not accept worship from other religions, but only what is done in Christ, in spirit and truth. This is clear in our text, and clear in history. Revelation 14 6-7, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation, tribe, language, and people, and he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, worship Him who made the heaven and the earth, and sea and springs of waters. See Hezekiah. We learn about King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18-20. He was one of the good guys and a good king, though not perfect. His father was the wicked king Ahaz, whom I addressed briefly above, and he began to reign at the age of 25. 18-6 notes that he clung to the Lord, and obeyed Him. He fought in wars and sought the Lord on many occasions. But he got sick. This is the first topic I want to address. Application, the historical books notes on page 251, that it is probable that the Lord allowed or brought the sickness into Hezekiah's body, as the instrument or means of brining the king back into a prayerful relationship with him. This may surprise some of you and be a different perspective for others, but there are times God brings or allows sickness for His purposes. We know we live in a fallen world impacted by sin and people get sick. This includes Christians too, even strong ones. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God will protect us from all that is painful. In fact, it says the opposite. Consider these words of our Lord in John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The word translated tribulation here is thlipsis, and means persecution, affliction, distress, and the concept is feeling trapped, confined or restricted and comes with the challenge of coping with or dealing with this we feel there is no escape. Consider the Apostle Paul's life. He was rejected, hated, shipwrecked and more, see 2 Corinthians 11:23-29. This is not the victorious life that many think. Yes, Jesus gives us victory, ultimately and in this life but that does not mean we won't have problems. Hezekiah did. Yes, God healed him, and God can help and heal us too, but that is not guaranteed. This brings up a principle. God allows or brings trials, difficulties, problems, loss, etc. to test us, and also to draw us back to himself. That may have been the case with Hezekiah, and it is the case for us often. This leads me to the second aspect of Hezekiah's life that I want to address. Hezekiah was miraculously healed by God but for whatever reason, and the book alludes that it may have been pride on p. 252, he decided to show the Babylonian emissaries all of the treasures in Judah, 2 Kings 2012-15, and was rebuked by Isaiah the prophet, 2016-19. What are the principles here? There are two. 1. We must beware of pride. 
while this may not have been the case, it is possible, and we need to be careful of it, particularly if God blesses us. Maybe He blessed a class we teach, a project at work, or provided for us in an amazing way, one that comes to my mind is my first mission trip in 2006, which was to the Philippines. I had to raise money, which made me nervous. God provided the exact amount to the dollar. When He does these things, or if He chooses not to, we praise Him. But we need to be careful of pride, particularly those in leadership. Pride makes us do selfish and foolish things. Which brings me to. 2. Even godly leaders can make foolish decisions. This was certainly the case with Hezekiah. It was a foolish decision to show forth all the wealth in the treasure house and more. Even if it wasn't pride that led him to do this, it was still a dumb thing to do. Our problem is, including me, that we don't think of something as dumb while we are doing it or saying it. What do we do when a leader does something foolish? We see it in the text. The first thing is to keep them accountable. They need to be confronted. This is part of being a healthy church. It is a dangerous thing to have leaders with no accountability. We do so in respect, and out of love. Asking questions can be helpful, or giving an example, like Nathan told David after his sin with Bathsheba. If you have done something stupid. Second, own up to it. If you are a leader who has done something foolish, then confess it to God and others as needed. Accept the consequences of your decisions and actions. Third, take the time to make it right. Whatever it is, make it right as God leads, and as you know what you need to do. For as long as it takes, make it right. D. Josiah. I want to end on a highlight. King Josiah was an amazing man. His story covers two chapters, 2 Kings 22-23. His father Ammon was a wicked man, and his grandfather Manasseh was wicked as well, though repented latter and tried to make things right, though the kingdom never recovered from his apostasy early on. Whether Josiah saw this, we don't know, though at least he was probably aware of it. We do know that in spite of all the evil that surrounded him, he took the throne at age 8 and began to seek the Lord at age 16, 2 Chronicles 34 3, and at 20, he made much needed changes when he was 20 and began to reform the nation. The book notes the political situation at that time with the surrounding nations, and that the high priest Hilkiah found the book of the law. This was probably the scroll of Deuteronomy, as it summarized the Mosaic law. God's word was read to him and his heart broke. What follows were continued reforms in the kingdom, as listed on pages 255 to 256. What can we learn from this? A lot, but I will hone in on a few things and make applications for each one. 1. Your past doesn't have to determine your character or your future. Josiah was brought up by a pagan father, yet Josiah had a heart for the Lord. Yes, practically speaking, it is better to have godly influence than ungodly influence in life and in a child's life. However, when God is at work, one's character does not have to be dictated by the ungodly influences you grew up with, or the bad decisions you made in your past. Make the decision to follow the Lord, no matter what you used to be, or what you grew up with. No matter what has happened in the past, you are not enslaved to it, because in Christ, you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5:17. 2. Godly changes may require radical action. There was such corruption when he became king, that the only way to follow the Lord was to tear it all down and almost start over. At times in our lives, in ministry, in a relationship, or in business, this is needed too. In order for us to follow Jesus faithfully, there may be things we need to get rid of, or relationships we need to step away from, appropriately. Talk with your pastor or church leadership to get counsel on those issues. Pray. Ask the Lord what you may need to do in order to follow Him faithfully. 3. God's Word is precious. Up to this point, it seems that the Word of God was lost. 
Some pastors or Bible teachers say that the Word of God was lost in the church, but the temple was not a church. It was a place of worship, and the only place of worship for Israel. Yes, God's Word was lost in the temple, and that does make it shocking. Is the Bible lost in your church? Are there so many programs, activities, meetings, etc. that these overshadow Scripture? They may be good things, but if they take the place of ministry, then something needs to be adjusted. Is the Bible lost in your life? Are you too busy to pray, read, study or be a part of a small group? Then perhaps you need to make some radical changes to get into God's Word and get God's Word into you. 4. You are never too young, or old, to make a difference. Yes, he had the authority as king to make decisions none of us can make at age 16 or 20. But no matter how young or old you are, you can seek the Lord. You can make a difference. When we do things God's way, yes, some will hate us, and some will respect us even if they disagree, but we will see the Lord work in wonderful ways when we obey Him, because of His great love for us. Whether you are young, or young at heart, you can seek Him and make a difference in your church, your family, your community and more, all by His grace. Be a mentor, be a coach, a teacher, or just be a friend to someone who is in need. It doesn't have to be grand to make a difference.